My name is Russell Stewart Brown. I'm probably not the Russell you're looking for, but I'm the one you've got, right? These are some things I've learned. Something that I've learned as I've gotten old is I think that Bond villains make way more sense now. Like, I think especially the cheesy ones. Like, like go back far and don't think of Daniel Craig. Uh, don't even think of Pierce Brosnan. Like, think think back, like, the Auric Goldfinger, you know, who's, like, got James Bond on the table. Like, he's going to laser him up. And, like, spills all of the beans on his plan. And that always seemed like a weird trope. But I get that now. I do. I get that because... I mean, I think there's this addictive quality to explaining a plan that doesn't actually involve following through on that plan. And I think if you have a plan and you think for some reason it's not going to get followed through on, I think that the natural human inclination is to explain that plan to somebody. And I think it's really easy to relate to this to real life because in real life, we, we come up with plans for diets or lifestyle changes and stuff. And a lot of the time, we don't even try to follow those through. We just tell James Bond the plan while he's on the table. And like, I think these villains, if anything, they should be like somewhat commended for their follow through. But having said that, by the end of the movie, they haven't followed through fully. So I guess, yeah, I, I think maybe they deserve a little bit more credit in some respects, but, but yeah, there's still a lot there they're lacking. But actually, another thing that I do think they deserve credit for is I think a lot of their plans seem a lot more reasonable than they did at first. Like, and maybe that's just because real life has gotten so crazy, but like, if, if you came out and told me that, oh my God, the, the whole world, oh yeah, no, here's the thing, right? Eco-terrorism, okay? Not, all right, let me try not to just immediately go in full support of any form of terrorism. But what I will say is that I, I understand why a, a James Bond villain style response to to the environmental situation makes more sense especially with last year because like last year the protests were oh my god look what we've done we've thrown paint or we've thrown some sort of orange dust at uh at like the weirdest places like like a snoo snooker snooker competition i you know the game that looks like pool but isn't pool because it doesn't have the numbers Sorry, pool doesn't have numbers, does it? No, pool has numbers. Wait, there's pool, billiards, and snooker. And I can barely pronounce the third one. Never mind, tell any of them apart. But either way, it's, it's a really weird place to go to protest the environment. Um, art galleries, again, it's a little weird. Especially because with an art gallery, I feel like you should protest at the National History Museum that's down the road. You know what I mean? Especially in the Western world where like half of that stuff. I'm going to revise this number and I don't know if this is overdoing it or going safe, but 90% of that stuff is stolen. And the other 10% was probably bought in a, a shady way. 
because I don't know how legitimate taxidermy is. I really hope it's super legitimate and I hope it's done with all the care and respect for the animals. But like, I don't know if there's like a race to get animals when they die. Because how many people get to taxidermy a gorilla? Like not a lot. I'm not saying anybody is killing those animals for, for this reason. People are killing those animals for entirely different, still related to greed reasons, but like when an, like, let's just say at a zoo, right? When an animal passes away, you could immortalize the animal. And I feel like if I were a taxidermist, that would be what I'd be going for. Like, like, oh my God, you won't believe this, but I taxidermist. Like I want, I want to sound like a rolled doll character. Speaking of rolled doll, Ian Fleming back to James Bond. Perfect. Well done, Russell. So yeah, the other thing about that, the whole thing about eco-terrorism is that I really miss lockdown. And like, there's a lot not to miss about it, but there was like a marked increase in air quality. Like, I, I mean, you could see further on a sunny day. This is going to be an old man yells at cloud thing because I'm like literally yelling at the weather. I understand that. Um, specifically the cloud being smug. But like, I can now get behind an elite group of hackers whose plan is to crash a satellite. And I don't think I really felt that. Not, not, not in my heart. I think maybe I paid lip service. You know, I think like... I think there was a part of me that was all like, yeah, yeah, let's bring down all the satellites. But like, I knew in my heart that I was, I was really a satellite junkie, you know? I mean, the, the second my phone could tell me my GPS location, you know what? Never mind. Before my phone could even tell me my GPS location. And oh my God, this is how old I'm going to sound, right? Okay. There was a text service where you could text a number. For 50 cents, I think it was like, I genuinely think it was that expensive. And it would tell you roughly where you were in the country. And I'm guessing it was pinging off the nearest cell tower. But like on a, on a bus ride home, and this is back like before there were, like the only colors on the screen, this is like phones hadn't even come out in black and white yet. And I know that that sounds weird, but like the first phones I remember were green and black. And then like, when white came in, it was like, I mean, it felt like an Apple trademark, but like, you know, it was, it was, it was brand new. So like, we're talking about really old phones and it would just send you a text message back and it would give you your location and at like a, like 1.3 miles from whatever the nearest town was or whatever. So like, I'm such a junkie for satellites, even though I just admitted that that's not really a satellite thing, but like Google earth and stuff, like I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I am, I think a junkie is a bad term. I wish I hadn't used that now and I apologize for it now. I won't edit it out because I think it's more important that I apologize for it. But, um, and you know what? I was going to use groupie as well, but like, I don't think that's a very respectful term either. So I'm not going to use that, but like, I'm a big fan of what satellites do for us. And so I wouldn't want to crash one, but like I say, now I can understand why you might want to crash one. 
And you know what? Like, and th- this is probably another thing. I don't think it's fair to just blanket give all satellites a green green card, like a green like a pass, because like there are definitely satellites up there that shouldn't be up. I think I think a hundred percent. You know what I mean? I, it's like, and I am. I mean, if we wanted to stress the definition of satellites, we're just talking about space debris after that. Anything that's satelliting, which I don't know. I don't think that's the same as orbit because you can be a satellite before you get into orbit, I think. I think orbit itself is something way more specific. I'd love to know more about I don't know. One day. I, I, I know enough about that kind of thing to know that I don't know anything. And I feel like that is sometimes as in, I feel like not even as important. I feel like sometimes it's interesting to know that there's things out there that you don't. And I don't mean the same as like, oh, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Like say for, for some people, they probably don't know that the science of bell ringing exists. It's called campanology. And it's a lot more different than I thought it would be. But until I read up about it, I just assumed that bells got wrong. Like I got that there were bell ringers. We, we were all taught that from one Disney movie. But I didn't really appreciate the science, the art behind it. And even now, I still don't fully understand how they do what they do. But I understand that they do so much more than I originally thought. And so I think that's, that's so interesting to know. That there are people out there who have these really specific interests. Like satellites. And bringing down satellites. Back to James Bond. So yeah, I think the thing about satellites is that good or bad, I can now understand why you would want to bring one down for like the purposes of, well, like, here's the thing, right? I think James Bond films get bad rep because I don't know how many of them were out for world domination. Honestly, not a lot of them. They were out to make a buck. You know, I I say that now I'm probably going to look it up and I might, I might actually compile that statistic for myself just to, just to get an idea of the different motives. Let me sort of think of a few. There's a couple of revenge killers in there. I suppose Blofeld is very megalomaniac in a way, but I think he wants to make money over anything else. As opposed to, say, like Lex Luthor. Actually, bad example, because like Lex Luthor was given all this power and he's like, I'm going to make real estate. Um, someone like Dr. Doom. Like, Dr. Doom wants to rule the world in that sense. Um, I think most Bond villains, you know what? I'm starting to think about this. A lot of the Bond villains really just want to upset the societal norms. So another thing I've learned, there's a lot of different types of paradoxes. And, and I, like, I, I think that, that that's obvious. There's a lot of different types of everything. But, like, when you talk about paradoxes, there are, I feel like, yeah, there are groups 
And I've only ever seen them grouped by like uh, paradoxes in statistics and paradoxes in philosophy or logic. But I bet that like philosophers, philosophizers, I bet that philosophizers though can like probably split these up into genres like the same way that a metalhead can split. Like, I don't know if you, you know this, but like, when it comes to music snobbery, and when I say snobbery, that, that's a negative term. I mean this in like, when it comes to music appreciation and distinction, I don't think that there are any fans of music who are better at like decoding and separating into separate genres than metal, metal fans. Um, there are so many separate genres and as much as people argue over them, they have very distinct like reasons behind their arguments. And I actually really respect that. Like as, as, as an autistic person, like it, it, there's so many rules out there and so many lines that are drawn that like don't make sense on the surface that like, at the very least, I can appreciate that speed metal and thrash metal, they sound like two different things. I cannot imagine how either one sounds different from metal. But like, if you tell me the word speed and the word thrash, like those are very two different concepts. Thrashing will involve speed, but like not all speed is thrashing. There's many other types of speed. Pick two words. I know that I'm pretty sure thrash metal is real. And then like speed metal, I haven't heard of it, but I feel like it's reliable that it could be real. Like, I feel like it's a safe bet to, no, I... well, actually, yeah, because here's the thing, right? Even though you have these people who know all these metal genres, I bet the like people who are most expertise out there. Like, the people who don't know anything about metal might have said speed, trash, they don't sound real. But, like, someone who's deep into the metal, if I used a word, let's say in this case, speed, if I used speed metal and there wasn't a speed metal, they would, like, immediately start trying to formulate, hmm. They would add that to their vocabulary. They'd be like, oh, okay, so speed metal. Well, what do I know that might qualify for speed metal? What is speed metal adjacent? And what is definitely not speed? Because that that's sometimes the only thing you can agree on. Sometimes the only thing people can agree on is that, like, I don't know if it's A or B, but it's definitely not a 7. You know what I mean? So, yeah. There are a lot of different paradoxes, and I think you can separate them into genres. But um, when it comes to paradoxes, like, this is the thing is that some are better than others. And like, there's this one category of paradox, and I'll probably talk about paradox a lot, but there's this one category of paradox that it feels like so, it's very, it's very Peter Griffin in the panic room getting flooded. Like this one category of, of paradox really insists upon itself. And, uh, that's the, the sort of one where, uh, this sentence is false. Right. If you take a second to parse that, you'll realize that it doesn't work. But I feel like that, that isn't, I feel like that's because language is screwed up. And there's other, there's other ones like that. that and and it, again, I know enough to know that they're out there, but like, because these ones don't interest me, I don't really understand them. But there's things like, if you, 
And what was the other one? There's a paradox where you can use language to, to say that all horses are black. I think it's that you can say that all horses that exist are, are the same. No, see, that's the thing. You can't say that all horses are the same color, but using language, you can do tricks that eventually end up with a bunch of true statements that appear to lead to the statement of every horse that you check or of all horses that are mentioned or all horses are black. And like, there are fun ways to do that. Like th there is a fun way to do this, which is the Pinocchio way of doing it, right? And this one is more fun because this one adds magic. But the Pinocchio one, say then, is what will happen if Pinocchio says, my nose will grow. And you do kind of have to tool that one around a bit sometimes because the wording can be kind of tricky there um, because it can come down to if he says it, oh, well, he could mean that at some point, at any point, at some point in the future, his nose will grow, which could be a true statement. But like what you, what you essentially say is that Pinocchio says the statement in such a way that it is understood that he is saying as a result of the truth or lack thereof, of the statement being given, the curse of my growing nose will be triggered. So, like, in that sense, it does mean that I am causing the growing of my nose. And so, like, in that sense, you do kind of have to wonder, well, like, how, how does that work? And, like, that, I feel like that's more fun, because then you got to, instead of then coming down to, well, like, what it depends on what your definition of the word is, is, like, it comes down to, like, well, come here. When, when the fairy, was it a fairy godmother or was it the cricket? I feel like the cricket was a sidekick. When, when Pinocchio was given consciousness with this thing, like, then, you know, it, it, like, all I'm saying is I'd rather discuss magic grasshoppers than read the statement, this page is blank. This play, this page is intentionally left blank. That's the one. In the leaving, sir. In the leaving, sir, I, under every, every time we had to return a test, because with sometimes you had to write in the, the answers, every time they gave me a page that said, this page is left blank, and I had to give that page back up to the, the examiner, I would always write, no, it is. And I do think that helped, because I got an A in English. I, I used some dirty, dirty tricks to get that A in English, but I'm still really proud of it. Like 15 years later or whatever. I wonder, I'd love to track down the person who created that English text. I have half of, I shouldn't, it's legal, but I have half of my Leaving Cert English test, the creative writing half. I can read parts out of it. But like, I remember like part of the strategy I had going into that was, okay, the weather is really, really nice where I am right now. Not, not like this. Weather is really nice, and it's only going to be really nicer in a few weeks. And that's when someone's going to be correcting this examination. And they're going to read a lot of the same thing. Especially because I think the path to success for so much of that stuff is to regurgitate certain things. And I, I am not making a comment. Like, I'm way too far away from this to make any sort of comment about actual, like, how the state of it is now. But, like, I went into my English test determined to be 
the boredom break. As horrible as that sounds. Like I, I just wanted I wanted the the person to take a step back and just go. Like I kinda wanted them to like rub their face. And that's how I think I imagined it. I imagined them reading it and then rubbing their eyes, having to like go back half a page and then confirm that yes, that is the statement I made. And some of the statements I made were problematic. Now they were they were problematic then too, but less was known about it. Like like because I mean I have autism, so but at the time it wasn't formally diagnosed. So like I don't know if this was punching down, but I did write an essay about why I thought a certain poet on the curriculum was autistic. And honestly, I, I drew from my own experiences to write about that, but it was the kind of wacky fan theory that I was like, hey, I want someone to do that. I want someone to read that and think, okay, what is going on here? Like, 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 I just wanted to like, I just wanted to not be the same as the first, the, the last, same as the last four, same as the next. And I thought that that would get me like a high C, maybe for luck. But, um, no, the wacky fan theories, I think that's something, and I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. I'm going to start wrapping this up, but I'm going to say outside of my, uh, problematic diagnosis of a poet on the curriculum. I had one other wacky fan theory about King Lear. And to this day, I maintain that this is how, how this goes because all right, that might not be a good one. That really presupposes a lot of knowledge about King Lear. That's a really long play. And like, it hasn't been dramatized in the same way as Romeo and Juliet is. So I don't know if you can really... Okay, I'll just put it this way, right? I he, I theorized that there was a character in... because oh, oh, yeah, I think if there's one thing that people do know about King Lear, it's that he goes crazy. And there is a character who just goes missing from the script around the time that Lear goes crazy. And there's different interpretations which try to say that that character is killed off stage. And in the live interpretation I saw, that is the case. He was killed uh, during the interval or leading into the interval. But I argued that that character represented Lear's And one of my many failures in life was when I tried to direct King. And so I had picked the same break for the intermission. And that in the intermission, at the same spot where this character was hanged in the stage version I saw. And I do think that by me saying that this poor character was hanged, I think that does confirm to the people who have seen Lear. Uh, who I'm talking about without, like, spoiling. Because, like, you know, it's too soon to spoil it. You know, 400 years, something like that? I don't know. I mean, I I do when Elizabethan times were. And I think I only know that, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure... Shakespeare was Elizabethan because isn't that who Dame Judy Dench played? Fingers crossed. Anyway, that character, what I really wanted was in order for, for Lear to recognize, oh, sorry, I need to like say this character had no lines that were directed at anyone other than Lear that were responded to. 
And honestly, there weren't a lot of direct references to the character themselves. So something I, I theorize now is that this character may have been double cast. Because there's another character in the play who never appears alongside this one. And in retrospect, I wish I had double cast this role. But it would have been asking a lot for an actress. Um, but yeah, my idea was that this character represents Lear's sanity. And at intermission, I would have them change out of their costume into their street clothes and walk out the front door of the theater. And uh, you can tell how, like, early 20s energy is. You know what I mean? It's like, God, people, they're going to see the fourth wall and it's just going to get spat back into their faces. Anyway, I didn't think I was going to talk about King Harry. But uh, in a way, Bond is like the... No, I'm not going to do that. Not going to put you through that. Not going to try to make a metaphor where James Bond is... To be or not to be, to double O, double O, to be. All right, I'm going to leave you there before I start to get really crazy. I have been Russell. I've had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Thanks for coming. I'll try to catch you in the next one. High fives all around.